Welcome to On Strategy Showcase. We're back after a short hiatus. We were producing a 12-episode series for Wark. Um, it, it was basically episodes around a select group of winners from the 2021 Wark Marketing Effectiveness Awards. You can actually listen to those episodes for free on the Wark website, uh, wark.com backslash talks. And I think you can get them uh, on the uh, podcast platforms also. So you can check them out. We, I think they're releasing new episodes, one every two weeks, but it was terrific to get the chance to talk to different agencies and strategists uh, from around the world and appreciate Warwick asking us to produce that series for them. Back to today, we're talking with Andy Grayson, who's head of strategy at Arts and Letters Creative Company in Richmond, Virginia. They also have offices and talent spread out around the U.S., Arts and Letters was founded four years ago. It has a pretty unique culture. Now, the talent, the top talent or the leadership within the organization comes from Wyden and Media Arts Lab and Google, Goodby Silverstein, et cetera. Uh, so um, people with a lot of experience and people with an understanding of how great work is done. And I think Arts and Letters is sort of the result of, of being able to see what the best are doing and being able to create a new organization that is able to deliver that, but also strip away uh, some of the process that tends to get in the way of of great work getting done more often. And I think the other thing is that, you know, really at the heart of arts and letters is this idea of embracing speed. They cherish the idea of working fast. And this isn't fast as in they can have something ready for you tomorrow. It's not that kind of fast. It's about working faster than other uh, creative uh, organizations typically do and uh, organizing themselves culturally and within various talent pools or departments and within the, uh, the shop by streamlining a lot of that process. So it's very exciting to think about the way they work. I hope you guys will enjoy hearing this because I think it, you know, I've talked about this in recent conf- conferences about the fact that when we're able to sort of um, unburden ourselves of responsibilities for being the only person responsible for strategy, and when we think of it as a broader team, it tends to uh, it tends to result in better work. And when you take responsibilities for the formalities of certain steps in the process out of the process, you can work smarter. You can work as a true team, and you can um, unburden yourself of the responsibility of being um, supposedly the only person in the organization who's supposed to deliver against it, whether that's creative, whether that's strategy, whether that's production. So it's a, it's a, it's a fun conversation, and he's a terrific guy. Uh, I hope you'll enjoy it. And uh, if you want to see the work from Arts and Letters that we talk about in this episode from brands like Google and from uh, ESPN, NBC, et cetera, you can go to our website, onstrategyshowcase.com, and the, the work will be under the Arts and Letters uh, episode. So here's Andy Grayson. Great conversation. Enjoy. Welcome to Andy Grayson. Thanks for coming on. Well, thanks so much for the invitation, Fergus. I have to say before we, you know, as we get started, I'm a big fan of your podcast and, and really what you're doing. You know, when I started out, all all I had starting out as a strategist was John Steele's book, Truth, yeah. Lies, and Advertising. That's right. Me too. And um, yeah, and and it's amazing how Today, you've created this platform that's a portal into what it's really like and what strategists are working on, how they think and how rewarding it can be. And it's invaluable to practicing strategists and, and really, you know, to would-be strategists who didn't even know this was a career option. Yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate that. Thank you very much. I mean, I, I, I remember that book too, John Steele's book, and it's still, it's still talked about a lot, but I think it's sort of, 
It's unfortunate to be, I think the impression is a lot of people are sort of marginalizing it as being sort of too narrow in its focus. And, and I just found it incredibly inspiring as a, as a strategist. I think I was maybe three or four years into my, my career at that point. And man, that I love it. It was so great. And uh, yeah, I, I, I do. Um, I do. Uh, I do remember that book well. And, I, and you know, for me, I always, I always have always loved reading case studies, and found great inspiration and encouragement from reading them. And so, uh, so doing this show was sort of me finding a way to connect with just brilliant minds and people who were doing great work and around the world now. And and it's so it's it's amazing. I'm, and I'm thrilled that it's become so popular. And I'm also thrilled that people actually are able to get a lot out of it. That's, that's helpful. Let's talk about how we got to here. So um, uh, I worked for a number of years and lived for a number of years in Richmond, Virginia, which is where Arts and Letters is headquartered. And Arts and, and you know, um, uh, Richmond, Virginia used to be sort of a one-horse town. And I had a conversation a number of months back with uh, Matt Williams, who's the former CEO of the Martin Agency. And during our interview, which is actually uh, on, our, on our site, um, I said to Matt, you know, Richmond is, is sort of a one-horse town. And he was like, well, not, not, not anymore. And he says, Arts and Letters is doing amazing work. And I was like, Arts and Letters? I'd heard about Arts and Letters, but I didn't know too much about it. And it, it, it became one of those agencies that when I looked it up, I was like, you're kidding me. They did that? And I love that sort of discovery. I had the same thing with... Um, with uh, uh, Andy Naren uh, in, in the UK and, um, and Lucky Generals being their agency. And I was like, you guys did all that Amazon Alexa work that I see all the time here in the US. And yeah, they did it out of London. It, it, so it's amazing to, to come across little gems like uh, Arts and Letters. So I'm thrilled that we can get, to, get a chance to talk about it. And, and what's great about from our original conversation was that uh, you guys have a kind of a different point of view on things, and that's why I thought it was important to do an episode on it. So, so tell us, tell us what, tell us about Arts and Letters. Like, wh- how would you describe what it is? Yeah, Arts and Letters is a we're an independent, full service creative agency. We're a little over four years old. We were founded by Charles Hodges, our executive creative director, and now we're. 185 employees. As you mentioned, Fergus, you know, we're based primarily in Richmond, Virginia, but we have some full-time employees in LA, New York, Portland, Boston, Austin, um, and Nashville. I'm probably forgetting a, a place or two, um, but we work differently. You know, we're, we have a more open creative process. It's more of a writer's room approach at Arts and Letters. And I guess if I were to sum it up in a sentence, everyone here is here because we're, we're, we want to reimagine what a creative partner can be. And, you know, whether it, you know, you, you, it was the, the folks that joined early on or whether you joined last week, everyone here is really comfortable with the unknown and they want to build something new, you know, to start from a blank slate and take you know, what worked at the great places we've all worked previously, and but then leave what didn't work behind and build a model around what we think clients um, actually need in a creative partner today. You mentioned a writer's room approach. Could you describe what that means? Sure. Um, you know, our process is, is open. Reviews are 
um, everyone participates in the reviews, you know, in, um, in, in, in a traditional agency, you know, you'll have the, the creatives meet, you'll have the strategists who do the strategy and they walk away and they write the brief and then they deliver the brief. And then, um, you have a creative review and the creatives are, are only in the creative reviews with the creative director. And, um, then everybody learns about the creative work, you know, as it moves down this assembly line and, and we sort of take an opposite approach where everyone's involved all the time from start to finish. Um, because we think everyone has something to contribute at each one of those stages and everyone's strategic and everyone's creative. It's important to underscore the pedigree of the people that are part of arts and letters. Um, can, can we talk about your, where you briefly, where you came from, where Charles came from, Give us a kind of give us a sense of the backgrounds, agencies, and work wise. We'll start with Charles. Um, before founding Arts and Letters, he worked at Widening Kennedy in New York. He worked at the Google Creative Lab, and then he worked at the Media Arts Lab on Apple, where he ran iPhone creatively. And I grew up as a strategist at Goodby Silverstein and Partners, and then left to direct strategy at Nike, uh, on Nike at Widen Kennedy, Portland. Um, and then I got the chance I never thought I'd get to come back to Goodby Silverstein and head up planning, you know, as we talked about earlier, you know, fill, fill the shoes of John Steele um, at a pretty young age. But I would say that probably the biggest source of common DNA at Arts and Letters is, is Widen and Kennedy. Three of our ECDs spent time there. So did our MD, our head of production, and, and just so many more people here. Um, so we all have this baked in spirit of creativity and independence and irreverence and invention. But as I mentioned, you know, we've, we've all found each other on the other side and, and decided to start, to start over and, um, and build something new and different. That's really focused on solving problems. So why Richmond, Virginia, by the way, curious. Another big piece of common DNA at Arts and Letters is the VCU Brand Center. So Charles and I both are alums of the VCU Brand Center. And when Charles was out in LA at the Media Arts Lab, you know, he talks a lot about he had at that up until that point built his life around his career. And he really wanted to build his career around his life. And he's from Charlotte, North Carolina and um, had been in Richmond because of the VCU Brand Center, that the v VCU Brand Center is here in Richmond. And he um, felt like Richmond would be a great place. But, and it's because of the legacy of the Martin Agency. Um, we owe a lot to the Martin Agency. Um, the, they were the horse in the one horse town that you were talking about. And, yeah. um, and, and uh, it just felt like a really good place because um, Richmond had changed so much. It's, it's so um, independent and creative and progressive. There's a lot of talent coming out of VCU. There's a lot of alums who know Richmond because of the brand center. Um, and it just was a, a great creative town. So that's why we, that's why Charles chose to, to start it here. So tell us about some of the clients. Um, again, speaking of pedigree. So Charles comes out, Charles and, and a small group of people come together. He's got background in Google at Google creative labs and media arts lab for, I mean, you just don't get much better than that. So, what does that result in? Is there a, is there a first client that is the sort of the the formation four years ago and starts it all out for for you guys? Our our first client um, 
you know, a significant client relationship was Google, um, which today um, Google actually has become really many unique partnerships across a range of product groups and internal creative groups at Google. Um, you know, at Arts and Letters, we currently uh, partner with Google Chromebooks, who we've you know, we've, they've been with us for the, for the entire journey of arts and letters. And we've created a lot of work we're proud of. Um, then there's also pixel nest, Google pay and Google assistant. And for Google assistant, we re, we remade home alone, which I'm sure yeah. a, a lot of people might be familiar with that one. Mom, dad, Hey Google, what's on my calendar today? You have one event called house to yourself. Oh yeah. <laughs> Google, add aftershave to my shopping list. Hey Google, remind me to clean these sheets later. Okay, I'll remind you. Too bad AC. Someone's in the front door. What do I owe you? Looks like you paid online. Keep the change, you filthy animal. Okay, cool. And then there's Google Photos, where we recently worked with NASA to bring the Mars rover to life through its photos. Out there, there's a world outside of Yonkers. Way out there beyond this hick town, Barnaby. Put on your Sunday clothes, there's lots of world out there. And that, that was actually one of the highlights of my year when the strategy team was on a hangout with actual NASA rocket scientists. And the, the space nerd in me couldn't, couldn't really take it. <laughs> <laughs> We also partner with NBC News and um, helped create the Plan Your Vote platform for voter advocacy in last year's presidential election. Um, and we work with the Today Show. And we have a large partnership with ESPN across a number of live sports, including the NFL on ESPN, the NBA on ESPN, ESPNW, and of course, the brand platform we created for ESPN. There's no place like sports. Um, and, did you and did then, you guys work on ESPN when when you were at Wyden? Um, sports Sports Center used to be at Wyden, right? It did, yeah. Charles um, worked on ESPN when he was at Wyden. Our managing director, Rich Weinstein, was also he headed up the account when he was at Wyden. So there's a lot of um, you know the ten thousand hours on the ESPN side um, at Arts and Letters, and when they were looking for um, for partners who could you know really who really understands sports, you know, you can't fake sports. So, um, you know, we just, it was one of those things where right thing at the right time. And, um, they're just a wonderful partner and they were looking for a partner and they were looking for a, a partner that could bring some of that magic that widen could bring. Um, but yeah, that's how the relationship started. And it's, it's a wonderful partnership. When we talked a couple of weeks ago, I was trying to, I was struggling with this in my brain. I was kind of thinking, okay, what what does this model that you guys are so successfully rolling out and, and building on, what does that say about other agencies? Because we're sort of programmed or at least taught to feel that we need lots of time and that um, less time is the antithesis of creativity. Uh, as strategists, we're led to believe that the ideal uh, is is rarely being met because everybody wants feedback by tomorrow. They want a strategy by tomorrow or by by or two days from now, and that's amazingly frustrating for I think many strategists 
who came up uh, a number of years back, maybe. But I don't know whether that is today. Maybe there's a new normal way of working. So I'm curious, what are your thoughts about that? Is, is, are you the answer to an agency problem or are you just experimenting? Uh, we're, I, I don't think we're just experimenting. I think we are trying to be an answer for what modern clients need to do. Um, you know, they have this need for things to move faster, as you pointed out, Fergus, but they also have the need for um, and the demand for the creative quality and the strategic rigor to keep pace with that. And I think there's been this tension that's existed that you can't have both of those things. And, you know, that, like that a client, you know, they have to move so fast and respond to so much, but to move at that speed, the, the convention has been that you have to sacrifice the strategic and conceptual rigor and the craft. Right. And to get the craft and the creative quality, the belief, you know, has been that you have to wait for that. Well, the way we try to work at Arts and Letters is with our open agile process versus the, this gated approval process um, allows us to do that. And also how we structured the company, investing more in the makers, uh, having makers in-house and part of the process. And then the ideas we create for our clients and, and you know, really bringing brand platform thinking and systems thinking to the problems, um, we're really bringing that speed and quality all the time. So for you coming out of Wyden and Goodby, and for Charles with his background too. And so you come to Arts and Letters. Um, what, does, what does the experience of Arts and Letters say about the places that you've been? You know, what was it that, I mean, do you find that you get, that you've now discovered that you get really, uh, you get really excited about things happening fast and you hate when things drag out or when they happen the way they used to happen? I mean, and what does that say about you as a strategist and Charles as a creative uh, as, and an inventor almost? What, what is it that kind of fuels it for you? Is, is it that speed? Is it getting shit done fast, getting stuff out? I think it's a great question, Fergus. I think, I think it's just acknowledging how it really works. Things change. It's a team sport. And we've really built the process of arts and letters around those truths that you have to work fast. You have to solve it as a team and getting rid of what really doesn't work, which is, you know, having it, have the creative process feel like this assembly line and uh, this approval process. And um, if you can all rally around a clear problem and bring in lots of solutions, um, you know, the agile process is going to help, the team's going to find the answer and follow what works. And that just ends up being faster. And, and we really built it as we started on, we, we built it knowing how some of those small teams worked at some of the great places where we had worked. Um, and they had a lot of autonomy. They were empowered teams. There was not very much hierarchy. The roles were blurred. You know, everyone was owning the strategy and everyone was owning the creative solution. And there was lots more making. And as I mentioned, it, there wasn't this baton pass of, of the process and roles. Everyone assumed all the roles. And that's just really the definition of agile process. And we really built the place around that. Um, we, we have a saying here, too, that, um, you know, th things are going to change. We just have to be ready to play. 
it seems to be the antithesis of what we all ideally want to have. In other words, we want time. Um, and um, we feel that that's exactly what we, what we need to be sort of uh, getting more of. I'm, I'm, I'm reminded actually of a conversation I had with, uh, with Andy Lindblade, uh, who's a head of strategy at, uh, you may know Andy from. Uh, from yeah, I know Andy. There's terrific yep. guy. And we're having this conversation about Nike and, and I thought I would find a, uh, a, a comfort in Andy's response to the following question. And the question was, um, why something, I'm paraphrasing it, but it was something like, Andy, why doesn't Wyden push back on these, what I thought of being sort of ridiculous expectations that clients have of how fast shit can be turned around? And um, why can't we rely on the top pedigree agencies to push back on that. And I was surprised because Andy didn't respond with, um, yeah, we're trying to do that. Are we, we're beginning to look at that. He just sort of passed over it. He, he almost accepted it as being what it is that we, we have to, I think the implication of what he was saying was, well, he wasn't thrilled about fast turnaround. His general implication of what he said was that we have to, to learn to adapt. Now that that pissed me off inside because I was like, God damn it, why um, why are we allowing ourselves to be treated this way? And I think Andy's, I think your response and Andy Lindblad's response are very similar, which is the marketplace for many brands is unchangeable. It's not the issue of the client; it's the issue of the client's business, and we have to be able to adapt. And when I look at your client list, Arts and Letters with Google, with ESPN, with NBC News. These are brands that are constantly in motion. These are brands that are dealing with a different tomorrow than today. And they're moving at, at the speed of news and culture and technology. I mean, I guess they just have to work fast, right? I think you're putting your finger right on it. I think that's very insightful and something we hold true that the 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 marketplace for brands has just changed dramatically and everything is moving faster. They have so much more to manage. They have so many more competitors popping up to disrupt their business, you know, from the DTC space. Um, and they need partners who can, who can pivot and change with them. Um, but also who can think long-term and set things up so that, that brand can have sustained differentiation and relevance, but also, you know, have things in place to be able to pivot and change um, and, and, and keep things adding up. If I was to go to arts and letters and interview strategists and creatives, would they be a different breed that finds joy in very different things than if I had gone to an agency 10 years ago? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question too. Um, we have we have amazing strategists that work here. I have to sing their praises. Um, but they, yeah, they're incredibly creative. Um, you know, our our strategists, we we talk about their role here being to to help the whole place move fast and be agile and unlock creative potential in the team. They do that in, in a number of ways. Um, but the the number one way I would say is that they provoke. You know, strategists here don't go away for a week or two and and try to craft this perfect brief. We talk here about provoking as fast as possible. So in so many ways, they're working 
like the creatives as quickly as they can to generate lots of different ideas and ways in. Um, and it's something that I've learned on my journey and it's and, and something we do differently here. You know, we, we bring all that rigor that we've been taught at places like Goodby Silverstein. Um, but the real epiphany I had when I was at Wyden and Kennedy was we had all these smart people in the room and everyone wants to start thinking and start debating, you know, a creative's mind doesn't, you know, only turn on when you give them the brief, like the most inspiring thing for a creative is a great problem. And I realized that my job as the strategist was to provoke this room as fast as possible and get the debate going. So here, that's what we do. We get really clear on the problem and then we generate lots of ways in really quickly. And we talk about, you know, don't design the perfect brief, design the perfect room for the debate to happen. And then the brief really writes itself as the team starts debating and tackling the way the ways in and and that strategist's job is just to listen and to to capture that and they know the question they're trying to answer and um they know the 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 awesome brief as it emerges and and they advocate for that and it doesn't mean that we don't take time to do research if we have that time um if if a problem demands it but in terms of the process we just get going immediately and we see a lot of value in getting everyone around the problem as quickly as we can and then working in parallel to author the strategic narrative as we're seeing creative ideas and um, the creatives here are incredibly strategic and all creatives, great creatives have always been incredibly strategic. So yep. again, we're just trying to yeah mirror how, how it really works and build a system and a process here that enables people to sort of be all those things because the best talent is all those things. So when you talk about provoking and you talk about the perfect room, what do you mean? You've got to have the right stimuli to start that debate. You've got to, you've got to bring in counterintuitive arguments. You've got to bring in things that, that, um, that I, I guess just sort of allow everybody to inhabit the problem on some level. Sure. Sure. Well, the, the first thing to say is it, it can be, it's different every time, you know, it's it, as, as each strategist is unique or each strategist team is, is unique. Um, so would what they want to bring into the room, um, you know, but we, like, like you're saying, you know, we, we try to get really clear on the problem. What's the real problem we're trying to solve and frame that problem in a really interesting way for everyone involved and then um, generate lots of different um, sort of mini briefs. Charles likes to call them frosted mini briefs at, a, at our place, but um, <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, yeah, uh, lots of mini briefs, like the first brave ideas that we're putting out on the table, clear, compelling angles, positionings, um, insights, but we bring in lots. We're not trying to just find the best one on our own and then write a brief around it. We're trying to bring in really what's the real core essence of what a strategy could be, which really is just a point of view. It's an, it's a, it's an observation. It's an angle on the problem. But we try to bring in five, six, you know, seven, eight of those into the first conversation with the CDs um, and, and the core people on the team, which would include the producer, which would include the account people here. We call them uh, the business department. So our, our our business counterparts and um, that core team. And we just, we just talk, we just 
talk about what's what's right. Sometimes we have research that we can point to. Um, our our clients today also have a lot of research on their own. They're doing that, and so we get really good at finding the story in existing research and data. Um, but to your to, to sort of finish what you're asking, yeah, that we 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 build a really provocative room to have a really provocative discussion, and usually figure out where we want to start and what's the first angle, what's the first brief. And then we build that brief for the rest of the wider team. And we brief the team um, on that brief and then we get going. And then as we see creative ideas and, and as, as teams generate more ideas, you know, maybe we find a different path, maybe it gets sharper and we, we follow what works. Um, you, I think you'd like to know uh, and you'd be pleased. I can see the smile on your face now as I'm about to say this, Fergus, but like sometimes strategists here, work as creatives on their brief for the first round of ideas. Nice. Um, yeah. And, um, and cause it's really just about bringing in lots of things for the collective to react to so that we can, we can find the best solution and follow it. Yeah. I'm, uh, I, I spoke at a conference last week and, and I was sort of, um, on my soapbox about creative briefs because I don't like creative briefs to begin with. I think that because, uh, it's, Creative briefs are so different everywhere you go. Um, I'm not a fan of them at all. I'm a fan of conversations over briefs. So briefings versus briefs, I think they're very different things. It doesn't mean that you don't have the responsibility of having very clear thinking as a strategist, and it needs to be compelling and inspiring. Uh, but forcing it into a creative brief that then gets delivered to somebody, uh, I think is dangerous uh, for most strategists because most strategists aren't that good at it. Most strategists, I think, are really great at conversation and feel and feeding off of others and shaping things as as uh, as a meeting and a discussion goes on. Do, do, what do you think of what do you think of briefs as a document? Do you do you do you guys use them or what do you think of them in general? Yeah, I think that's a. I love listening to you talk about that. I think we're we're very like minded um, in in our point of view on briefs. I, I think what I would how I would answer the question and what I'd add would be that I, I agree with you. I think it, it really is. A, and that's essentially what I'm saying around don't design the perfect brief, design the perfect room. It's like design a great conversation, um, design a quality start. So I think, I think there's value in the briefing as, 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 as you're calling it um, versus this, um, sort of commandment-like document that is yeah, you know, right. the, the, the brief. But I, for strategists, what I would say, and we talk about this a lot here, is that you know, distilling your thinking and getting it sharp is, is necessary at the start. So yeah. to, to your point, we, we don't try to say distill it and make it perfect into this one perfect thing, but we do like the strategist to start on a piece of paper with words and just get, get the thinking down and, but, but, but move on and, 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 and come up with lots of different ways in. You talk about sort of scalable brand platforms and sort of brand operating systems. Let's explain. We've talked about the, the briefing of the upfront briefing part of it and the, and the room. Uh, but let's talk about the out, the outputs and how you use these scalable brand platforms, what, what is this and what makes it different do you feel versus what other agencies are doing? Internally, we call that the brand operating system or the brand OS. We try to think 
longer term around what's the what's the proposition and the platform the brand needs to have in the marketplace that it can sustain um, in a platform. And um, in terms of scaling that platform, you know, we think about what well, what needs to happen underneath it. Um, what what is a cohesive yet flexible creative system that um, you know often will have it has a mechanic, it has a way that the brand shows up and talks, has a has a distinct voice, but the way we build the work, it's very flexible and modular, so that it can show up in a very relevant way in a very specific channel, say social or um, you know, say events. I think a great example is um, what we've done for for ESPN and the NFL on ESPN. And um, the platform for the NFL on ESPN is ready for football. And the system is designed from the beginning to help ESPN live into a 365-day strategy around the NFL, which you know, is a first in sports marketing because previously brands and leagues really just marketed around the season and the moments within the season. But the season for an NFL fan really goes year round. And we have to credit ESPN for that insight, but we helped build the strategy and the platform and the system that could live into that. And with only 17 games, now 17 games, it used to be 16 games per season for the NFL. It's really like the ultimate reality TV and, and the storylines are always changing the characters and the villains and everything matters. And so everything's being constantly refreshed in terms of the fan experience of what the storylines are in the NFL. And so we, the system for ESPN that could change with the cycles of the season and the cycles of these storylines so that ESPN is always showing up with a relevant message around what's actually happening in the season at that very moment. But it's all adding up to something bigger, which is ESPN's the best home for your relationship with the NFL. ESPN's internal creative group can take the system and run with it and make thousands of film and digital tune-in messages throughout the season that are highlighting the matchups um, and the day, date, and time. But again, because they're working from the same toolkit and the same system, it, it all adds up to, to a bigger message. What's happening increasingly with smart marketing clients is that they're already coming to the table with a lot of the work that planners used to spend weeks doing. And, and I've noticed this too in conversations with, with brands is that many times they have internal planners in the brands. They have really good researchers. So they're coming with a strong point of view and even a strong strategic hypothesis before uh, you guys even get engaged or agencies generally are getting engaged, which maybe that allows you to have an even higher level of rigor and be able to work faster because they're sort of, um, they're, they're coming, they're coming to the table with shit that can really help agencies get started quicker. Does that make any sense? I think that's generally true. Um, and I think, I think it'll, I, I think it more than anything, it just, it speaks to clients. They have more resources. Yeah. They they have internal groups. They and it, and they they have all this because they need to, and they need to do a lot more things. Um, and we're, we're you know the, the agency of record era. Um, I think we're we've moved well beyond it. You know all the all the things that you know an agency used to do in the agency of record era. Clients are doing so. What they really need. 
what they really need is a is a lead creative partner who can who can help them um, move at speed that who who wants the, them to be involved in creating the work. So when you look at when you look at your sort of systems thinking approach, which we which is I think sort of the operating system approach, do you think that's do you think the appeal of that to clients is the fact that as an industry we've started to specialize so much that it's becoming increasingly difficult for clients to manage multiple agency partners. And do, do you find that you guys are almost a refreshing tonic uh, because you're kind of able to do all of that? So you're like the anecdote to specialization in the industry? <laughs> I think that's an interesting way to say it. Um, I, think, I think you're right. I think it has become very specialized and, and really fragmented across so many partners. And in some ways, that's a good thing. You know, there's concentrated talent that can do one thing really well. But I think now, if you're a CMO, you've got all these roster agencies to coordinate and manage. And I think clients are just looking for the efficiencies. You know, how can we be more coordinated? How can we have less overlap? So what we're trying to be is a is a partner that understands that and is a partner that is thinking about how um, things can work better together, you know, from the very beginning. Um, and, and thinking how to be a complement to all those partners that they have in place, not compete with it and, and give the brand a clear platform, give the brand a, a really compelling creative system that all those partners can plug into. So everything adds up so that they, so they can find those efficiencies. I would hope that we as strategists and as an industry and as creatives are, that we're coming back around to what our role is. And it's, in my opinion, it's to generate that big brand platform idea that can make everything else feel um, inspired and feel that it's working most effectively and efficient, efficiently. Um, because I think that's what clients want. I don't think it's just about cutting or have, having things. There's no point in having things be more efficient if they're less effective, right? I think you're observation on that is, is, is spot on. If you look at the brands that are winning and, and really doing the best work, they, they're, you're absolutely right. They have a platform that everything's living into. Your outputs aren't just campaigns. I mean, are there other examples of things that we might not see that are a typical output of arts and letters on a regular basis? Those outputs sometimes are, are definitely not adver- advertising ideas. They are um, product visioning. Um, I, I can't go into detail, um, for confidentiality. Sure. Um, but, but, but yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and it, and it's, and it's not just Google, you know, I think we, 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 we've proven to be that kind of partner for all our clients. So we're getting to think about, you know, business ideas. We're getting to think about new product ideas. We're getting to think about, as I mentioned earlier, you know, packaging, um, the, the holistic brand experience. I think that's another area where systems thinking comes into play because um, most, most agencies are really focused on like the pre-purchase part of the, of the brand experience. You know, how do we get more people to know about us and, and drive intent? But brand building happening in the purchase part of the cycle and in, in post post-purchase and 
when you when you think in platforms and you think in systems, you then think of ideas that can show up in places where you know advertising isn't showing up, but it's the brand experience. And um, that allows us to to solve lots of different problems and and again, have it all add up to something bigger um, you know uh, over time. I love it. Um, hey, just a couple of final things that I wanted to touch on. Um, when you're, when you hire a strategist at Arts and Letters, what are what are some of the cues that you're looking out for when you're interviewing somebody or you're sort of looking at their work? Sure, great question. Um, I think first thing that comes to mind is we look for we look for writers. Writing is such a good indicator of anyone's ability to critically think and to communicate effectively, to step into the audience's shoes. You know, if you're going to be a great strategist, you have to represent the audience. So um, we look for writers. And since strategists here are so important and integrated into our creative process, and they're often putting that first brave idea on the table, you have to be a good writer. So so we we look for that in their, in people's work and even in how they correspond and in email and, and, and you know, when you see it and if it's sharp, um, we're also looking for team players, I'd say, um, because that's the other huge important, you know, component for, for our process and our culture. Um, you know, we, we even had a team of strategists nominated for this year's, uh, ad age strategist of the year. Normally it's just a single person, but we had a team make it, which I think was a cool. first. And yeah, and um, you know, spotting a team player, uh, honestly, Fergus, I just listen. You know, I think if a candidate is talking about, I did this or I did that for everything, you know, in their portfolio, it's usually a sign. And and team players usually default to when we did this or we did that. Um, and it's just kind of how they view the work as this team effort, which which is the truth anyway. So um, that's kind of what I'm look, looking out for, and um, and and then just again, you know, creative aptitude, a growth mindset, um, grit. You know, can they figure it out? Can they fail and recover? As I mentioned, we you know we one of our mantras is we'll figure it out. We paint we painted it on the wall, and and you know we're looking for, for people who are who can dig in. And, and recover and be resilient. I wish you guys, and I know it'll be incredibly successful as it continues to grow. You guys are beginning to make a lot of uh, really positive waves. So thank you, man. Thank you for coming on the show. Well, thank you so much for, for saying that and, um, and believing in us. And thanks for the invitation to come on. This has been great. I love the conversation. Me too, Andy. It's Andy Grayson, head of strategy at Arts and Letters in Richmond, Virginia, they're headquartered there and they've got obviously reach in, man, you got to reach in a lot of cities. That's the beauty of decentralization, right? So uh, we're excited to see what comes next. We're going to drop a number of the spots uh, into this audio file, but a lot of the work, I think with Google, you have to actually see it. Uh, it doesn't really work uh, on the audio. So I'd encourage everybody to go to unstrategyshowcase.com. You can see all of the creative work from arts and letters. Uh, that will feature here in the episode. Thanks, Andy. Have a great day. Thanks a lot. Thank you. And we'll see everybody in the next episode.